Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Perringer. And continue our study um, in Daniel. I want to read uh, what someone wrote. It's, it's a historical summary of a point in time at the beginning of World War II. And this is not original uh, to me. But I thought that it was very descriptive of maybe what, what Daniel and the boys went through, but also what we're going through in our day and age as well. So this is what this person wrote. Neville Chamberlain was known for his policy of appeasement. As the Prime Minister of Britain before World War II, he knew that the country was still weary from the First World War, and he wanted to avoid a European war at all costs. The problem was that at the same time, Hitler was planning to overrun Europe, including Britain. Chamberlain did not want Britain to have to confront Hitler and his army. So, in September of 1938, he reached an agreement, and I'll put air quotes there, he reached an agreement with Hitler that resulted in the Munich Pact. Italy and France joined Britain in agreeing to surrender parts of Czechoslovakia to Germany. You know, isn't it nice of those three countries to say that, that Germany could take over this other country over here who has no say in it? Anyway, so they agreed to allow him to have parts of Czechoslovakia in return for Hitler's agreement not to invade any other European countries. And so Chamberlain confidently went back home to Britain proclaiming peace in our time. They really believed that by giving in to Hitler's demands that he would stop or limit his aggression. And at that point in time, America was standing back just kind of hoping the whole thing would go away. But, obviously, Hitler arrogantly ignored the pact, taking most of Czechoslovakia and then invading Poland. And then it became obvious that France and Britain were in his sights as well. And so now the Munich Pact is now a universal symbol of the failure of the policy of appeasement or compromise. See, the problem was Chamberlain and some of these other leaders actually thought that evil could be reasoned with. They thought that you know what, if we give in a little bit, if we compromise a little bit, then evil is going to leave us alone. But it didn't. Evil constantly sought to gain new ground. It was true for World War II, and it's just as true in our lives. Unfortunately, there are many Christians who think if I give in a little bit here, and if I give a little bit there to evil, evil will somehow leave me alone. They think that they can come to an agreement, an appeasement, a compromise with evil. They think that if I give in to some of evil's demands over here, it's going to make my life better over here. If I give in to evil in this area, you know, things will actually go better for me in the long run. But guess what? It never will. 
evil will never stop taking unless people stand strong against it. So let's bring it to our day and age. There are some Christians, people who claim to be Christians, that think that they can concede to the issue of abortion. You know what? If we concede in that area, maybe we can do some better good for the kingdom over in this area. Or we can come up with a better, better thing for Christianity down the road. It don't work like that. Then I think that if we concede to some of the demands of the LGBTQ and any other letter they're adding to it now, community, then you know what? We're, we're, we're stopping a greater evil down the road because, oh, they're going to stop where they're at. They're not going to ask for recognition of even greater perversions, would they? Yeah. Guess what? It don't stop. It's a slippery slope. It's not the way it works. You cannot compromise on the public level to evil, and neither can you compromise on the personal level to evil. If you think that you can give in and compromise with evil, thinking that by doing that you will prevent further greater evils, you are deceived. Now Daniel and the boys, you know, I call them the boys because it's a whole lot easier than saying all their names, they ran into this kind of problem. So King Nebuchadnezzar, he had brought them to Babylon in this first wave of captivity around 605 B.C., and he was training them to be part of his bureaucracy. And, and in and of itself, working for the Babylonian government wasn't like a bad thing because God can use people anywhere. But the problem was that Nebuchadnezzar was trying to get Babylon into them, trying to get Babylon into their hearts. He was trying to take away their identity in God and trying to, you know, help that put it so that they would find their identity in Babylon, in its government, in its gods, in its way of life, in its culture, in its king. And so he wanted, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted the captives to compromise who they were and where they were with God. He wanted them to compromise what they believed. Well, how would they respond? How would Daniel and the boys respond to this pressure. Well, first look at verses 8 through 16 in Daniel chapter 1. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you're in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, said, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you 
and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now first, I want you to notice here that we have to resolve in our hearts that we will not compromise in any area of our faith. Not one bit. Now this is something that we have to settle on our hearts before the temptation to compromise comes. So that, you know, when the temptation comes, we're not like, uh, uh, what do I do? What do I do? No, resolve right now before the temptation comes that, you know what, come what may, I will not compromise the faith. I will not compromise the word of God. Now, our passage here tells us that Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. It was a resolution in his heart. But for him to make that resolution here, and now I remind you, he was most likely a teenager at the time. You know, they, they guesstimate 15-ish, 16-ish maybe. And so for a teenager saying, no, I will not defile myself. I am resolved that I am going to stay faithful to my God. And so he resolved in his heart long before this issue arose, I will follow God, I will follow his word, I will follow his instructions. Now, to understand what it was that Daniel was facing, um, in the verses before this, it says that these trainees were to be fed food and given wine from the king's table. You know, the food that the king himself would eat was to be given to these cap captives who were training to be part of his government. Now, from a purely aesthetic standpoint, I mean, come on, you th the, the food that's going to be given to the king, that, that's the prime stuff. We're not talking McDonald's here. We're talking good stuff. We're talking whatever high-dollar restaurant you can think of, that's the stuff that we're talking about. And so from an aesthetic standpoint, it was the best stuff. But obviously, there was something wrong with it if Daniel and the boys thought that it would cause them to compromise their faith in some way. Now, the passage doesn't specifically say what exactly it was. We can take some educated guesses of what was going on. It's a possibility that the food included um, food that the Jews thought were unclean. I mean, as given in Leviticus, food that was unclean, you know, pork products. God bless the Jews that can't eat pork products. Man, no bacon. So it might have, been, so it might have included that. I mean, some commentators think it might have even included horse meat. I'll pass on that. Thank you very much. But it might have also included food that was sacrificed to idols or was part of their idol worship. It's also possible that the food was, the blood wasn't drained properly from the food. Because, I mean, that, that's very specific almost from the beginning. I mean, you will not eat food with its blood still in it. Or it could have been a combination of any of those. Whatever the case may be, though, it, it somehow was going to compromise their commitment to God. But Daniel would not do it because he resolved in his heart he would not defile himself. 
I mean, this was a boundary that he had already set up for himself. He said, I will not compromise. I love God. I serve God. I will not compromise in any area. Um, he was in this new environment, far away from home. Nobody really around to know. And yet he said, no. I will honor my God. I will serve my God. And if God were, God's word says something, well, then that's it. That, that settles it. I'm going to abide by what God's word says. Now, Dr. Stephen Miller, he named several reasons why this was such a courageous act. I mean, you know, we, we look at this and we know it's courageous, but why? Well, one, to refuse the royal diet could have been taken as an insult to the king and as an act of direct disobedience to Nebuchadnezzar's orders. Two, pressure from Daniel's peers most certainly made the decision difficult. Because let's face it, everyone else was doing it. By choosing this course of action, Daniel and his friends were setting themselves apart from the others. Now they were going to be different. Now they were going to be strange. Three, such unorthodox behavior could have jeopardized their chance for advancement in the Babylonian government. Four, the quality of food would have been attractive because it was the best in the land. Five, their new location may have temp tempted them to be unfaithful because Judah uh, was 900 miles away. Their parents and friends would never know whether or not they kept God's laws. Yet Daniel and his friends were aware of one very important fact that maybe we fail to remember. Other people might not know their actions, but God would know. And someday they would give an account of themselves to God. Six, it would have been natural to argue that since God had not protected them from captivity, the horrible situation that they were in, that they did not have to be careful to obey his commands. They could have become bitter toward God during this time. And sometimes believers fall into this trap. All of these factors could have caused some people to compromise. But Daniel remained faithful to his God. And so here is the principle. Daniel resolved to follow God's word no matter what. And got to think about it, the consequences for him would have been dire. I mean, not only just the things that Dr. Miller had, had written, but let's face it, if you refused something that the king said, off with your head. Their li his life was on the line. But Daniel stood strong in the pressure to compromise. Now the question for us is, are we going to resolve to do the same? in a very politically volatile environment that we find ourselves in? Will we resolve to stand strong? Will we settle in our hearts right now that come what may, we are going to honor God by following his commands no matter the circumstances we find ourselves in and no matter the consequences that we might face? 
Because frankly, the earthly consequences that we might face pale in comparison to the spiritual consequences that we might face. And, you know, guilt, shame, loss of reward, and having to look Jesus in the face, knowing that we compromised. Is it really worth it? And so there is the principle, first principle, resolve in your heart. Now, that you know what, come what may, I will not compromise God's word. Now, a second principle to consider here is to act gracefully when you stand for your convictions. Because you you notice how Daniel made his convictions known to the people that were in in charge of him, the chief eunuch and then the steward that was under the chief eunuch and, and things like that. Look at how Daniel presented his case. Look at how Daniel acted toward these people who were pressuring him to do this. He didn't go on some sort of protest. He didn't go on social media and rant about it. He didn't air his complaints to everybody that walked by him. He respectfully made his case known to the chief eunuch and then to the steward. And then he offered an alternative that allowed him to follow his convictions and yet still accomplish what it was they were trying to accomplish. So you notice Daniel stood strong, even being in the system, so to speak, without trying to take the system down, I guess would be the way I would want to put it. He worked within the system without compromise. And so we need to act the same way. We need to stand strong, but do it with grace. Do it with love. Do we remember the part that Paul wrote about, you know what, you can do this and you can do that, but without love, if you're talking, it's nothing but a, just a loud symbol. I mean, it's nothing. If you do anything without love, it's being done wrong. And if anyone has reason to show love and to show grace, to show mercy, to show kindness, to show the fruits of the Spirit, it's Christians. You know, uh, Dr. W.A. Criswell, the great preacher of old, he shared this one time. He said, I remember one time that a dedicated, gifted theologian said to me, it is a tragedy that the men who are the most fundamental, meaning fundamental in the faith, are for the most part the most caustic, rasping, and brackish people in their spirit. And then, you know, Criswell, he, he kind of shares his thoughts on this. He goes, is, isn't that a shame? That, that firmness would turn into obstinacy, and commitment would turn into bigotry, and a great devotion turns into cantankerousness. Criswell liked to use big words, by the way. He said, this is a tragedy of all the people in the world who should be gracious, loving, 
kind, and generous. They ought to be the people who love God the most. Or at least claim to. So, I guess to add a phrase in here that seems to have become one of my catchphrases. You can hold on to your convictions. You can refuse to compromise, and you should. But you don't got to be a jerk about it. Right? Don't be a jerk. Here's the thing. When you stand strong on your convictions and you do it with the grace of God, you do it in a winsome and loving way, you may gain a hearing. You may gain a consideration. And so because of the way that Daniel approached the chief eunuch and then the steward, you know, they, they listened to Daniel. I mean, at first the chief eunuch was like, eh, that means my head. But then, you know, Daniel said to the steward, hey, come on, you know, just, just give it a try. What, what's it hurt to test? And so they did. Because Daniel, the way that he approached them, they, that steward said, okay, we'll put, we'll put it to the test. Um, maybe a more theologic, theologically accurate way of putting it is that by standing strong and by doing it in a loving way, God gave Daniel grace in the eyes of those around him. You know, God can give us grace in the eyes of people around us. Yes, there's going to be people who so hate God and so hate Christians and so hate the church and maybe so hate us that, no, they, they'll never give us a hearing. But that's not for us to judge. Because you know what? There are people out there who aren't hostile immediately toward Christianity. They might be open. They might have questions about life. They might have questions about the afterlife. They might have questions about the path. They might have questions about the way. But then if they see Christians being jerks, do you think that they will actually listen I mean, if Christians act like this, no, that can't be the way. Let me go over here and try Buddhism. Man, if Christians are acting like that, maybe Hinduism has an answer. I'll be honest. If I wasn't already a Christian and I saw some of the censoring myself junk that is on social media, I wouldn't have anything to do with the church. I wouldn't want to have anything to do with Christians. But God gave Daniel grace in the eyes of those around him because of how Daniel handled the situation. I mean, we want people to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, but they will not listen if we don't act in a Christ-like manner. Why would, they, why would they want to listen about a great Savior when the people don't act saved? Guess what would be a way of putting it? If, people, if they just become the most orneriest, meanest people 
people around. I mean, where, where is it? You know, Christians talk about being born again and having a new heart. Old things have passed away. Behold, old, all things have become new. Well, if you're acting like all the rest of the mean people in the world, where's the newness? So yes, we have to stand strong on our scriptural beliefs. But at the same time, while we stand strong, we can be salt and light. Not vinegar and pickle juice or something like that. I'm trying to think of things that sour people, you know? I don't know. Whatever sa- sauerkraut, I don't know. Anyway, it, go with the analogy. Just go with it. A third principle is that the strong stand you take on your convictions actually can help and encourage others to do the same. Because you notice that because Daniel resolved in his heart to take this stand in a bold but loving way, it encouraged Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, better known as the boys. It encouraged them to do the same thing. They were able to help each other out and they were able to lift each other up. And together they resolved, we will follow God. We will obey God. And we have to wonder if our strong stand and the way that we take our strong stand is going to have that same effect. Are we doing things and living and standing strong in such a way that it encourages others to do the same, that it encourages others to a holy life? Will the way that we articulate ourselves pique the interests of others to the truths of the gospel? Will the way that we stand strong encourage others to stand strong with us for gospel truths. You know, it's so easy for people to shrink back and compromise thinking they're all alone in the battle. But I'll tell you what, when they see other people being courageous, when they see other people standing strong, then they're going to gain the strength and they're going to gain the courage to do the same thing. And so we, we want to be a leader in that. I mean, it's so easy for people in society to just sit back and do nothing. And look around and wait for, see if anybody else acts. And then say, oh, okay, well, I guess if somebody else did it, I'll do it too. No, why should we not be the leader in doing that? Be the first to stand up and say, no. This is wrong. We should. And so Daniel and the boys, they stood strong. And then we see how God blessed them because of their obedience and the stand that they took. Look at verses 17 through 21. It says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them to be ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. And Daniel was there, until the first year of King Cyrus, which means that God kept Daniel in position 
for 70 years. Even after the Babylonian Empire disappeared and the Medes and Persians came in, Daniel was still there. He was still representing God. He was still standing strong. Now, in no way does this mean that, you know what, if you stand strong and if you obey, you're going to be blessed like this. You're going to be rewarded in, in this way. You know what? There have been a lot of people in history who have stood up for the gospel, who have stood up for God's word, and they've been killed for it. They received their reward. It just wasn't an earthly reward. But you know what? When we refuse to compromise, if we stand on the promises of God, I mean, he is going to put us where he wants us to have an impact. And this is going to sound strange, and this is going to sound very going against our natural tendencies, but even if you're martyred, you can have an impact. Because you're bearing witness to the greatness of God, you're bearing witness to the greatness of Christ, you're bearing witness to the greatness of the gospel. You're bearing witness that it is something worth dying for. And so, you know... So many people think that obeying God means they will be rewarded with greater comfort, greater fame, greater influence. Our reward might not be any of those. I mean, it was for Daniel and the boys, but it might not be for us because God might have a different purpose for us. And yet, whatever his purpose is for us, it's going to bring about the advancement of the kingdom of God, and that's what it's all about. It is not about us. And you know what? We have to be okay with that. We have to be okay with that. And so Daniel and the boys stood strong when pressured to compromise. And we got, we got to pray that we would do the same. Stand strong for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the gospel be lived through us. Let the gospel be proclaimed by us. And you know what? When we don't stand strong because we don't always stand strong, we thank the Lord that he has provided a savior to forgive us for those times that we don't. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening and God bless.